evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Man, is it so good to be here today. I am Bryson Carver, as always, and we've got as jam-packed a show as you could possibly imagine on a Friday night. So, obviously, you got Lions-Chiefs last night, and I've got, you know, listen, I may be a Steelers fan, but I'm repping my Detroit Lions blue today. We're going to have a lot of Dan Campbell sound bites, you know, throughout the show. Very excited about that. Uh, do you believe in Detroit Lions now? That, that is my question to America and to all those watching and listening to this episode. I'll get to that, obviously, as the game kicked off. And I think this is very strategic by the Cincinnati Bengals. The Joe Burrow contract news broke, getting the richest deal in the history of the NFL. I don't think that comes to any, as any surprise to, to any of us. I think the, the only shocking part is how late it came in terms of the fact that Herber and just, uh, just, uh, Jalen Hurts got paid this offseason. But Burrow gets his days before the Bengals kick off against the Cleveland Browns. Here's how it impacts Dak Prescott. I'll tell you in the second Segment. Explain to you, rather, in the second segment of the show. The Vol View is back for a second consecutive week. Very excited about that. This week, I'm going to talk about Joe Milton, the quarterback of the Tennessee Volunteers, who wears number seven. Ironically, also the number of the great Vols quarterback, Condridge Holloway. Tennessee's going to honor him tomorrow. More than that, more on that uh, on the Vol View today. But where does Joe Milton, in a, in a college football landscape that has as many great quarterbacks as we've ever seen at one time, particularly in one conference, that being the Pac-12 with Caleb Williams and Shador Sanders and, and Michael Penix Jr., some incredibly talented young QBs. Where does Joe Milton slide in with those guys? I'll talk about that, and obviously I will get to the Caleb Williams. Speaking of one of those great quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, uh, his dad came out and made some big, big statements regarding whether or not Caleb may actually stay another year at USC Despite the fact that he is the surefire number one pick in next year's draft, obviously knock on wood, avoiding injury. And of course, at the end of today's show, week one, NFL predictions. So excited about this. So we're going to have upset of the week. We're going to have uh, Bryson's bleak bet, which I introduced last season. And most importantly, a segment in which I struggled with last season. And I will look to right those wrongs this year. If I were a betting man, very excited about all of the above. But first, I got to say, um... Some kneecaps were bitten last night in Kansas City, Missouri. Kneecap. 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 Everybody got kneecaps last night in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium because the Detroit Lions, who everybody, the national media included, and by the way, still are today. I'll get into that uh, as this segment progresses, but just totally disrespected. Vegas really didn't. They only made Kansas City a four-point favorite, which I felt was appropriate. I actually took Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions, to uh, to cover that spread, to uh, not to cover, to take them with the points, take them to you know plus four, but Kansas City to win outright in a walk-off field goal. Of course, I was wrong on this individual game outcome, but Detroit went to Kansas City, won the game 21-20. to uh, Did it, by the way, on a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter with about seven minutes to go. Uh, you, you had a, a great rushing attack for Atlanta, for Atlanta, for Detroit. You had Jared Goff playing an excellent game. I know the stats aren't just going to, you know, aren't mind-blowing, but he didn't turn the football over. Something, by the way, he hasn't thrown a pick in well over 300 attempts. I think he's right now fourth or thir third or fourth all-time on the list of consecutive passes thrown without an interception. So Goff is playing turnover free ball. Uh, he made some big-time throws. You could talk about, hey, they're playing dink and dunk, trying to keep the ball to Mahomes' hands, these big, long drives. But I think it's the fact that Goff was able to make those throws under pressure, by the way. There was one throw in the, in the second half where an unblocked Kansas City defensive back is coming for Jared Goff, and at the if he waits a split second too long, 
to hit Amonra St. Brown on the left side. Uh, yeah, it looks like it was against the zone coverage there. He gets he gets destroyed. He may get sacked, he may get strip sacked, and he made some big time throws all night long. And I said Jared Goff to me is one of the twelve best quarterbacks in the NFL. And Detroit line, the Detroit Lions defense, I think, as well, too, was 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 shockingly good. I I thought, and listen, we'll talk about Kansas City and Tony's drops and Sky Moore's drops and the pick six, obviously. But Detroit's ability. We talk about Detroit having a good offensive line. We forget how good Kansas City's is. Creed Humphrey is an excellent center. You got uh you got uh what's his name? Trey Smith at the University of Tennessee, my guy, who's an excellent get gets a little gets a little handsy in terms of, of holding calls, but is good in terms of uh run blocking, is a solid pass blocker uh, when when he's technically sound. That's a very good Kansas City offensive line. It's why Mahomes has had the success he's had really since ever since he's been in Kansas City as they continue to upgrade that unit. But I think what was and what is just mind-boggling to me going into this game last night and coming into today, this morning in particular, with all the, the morning debate shows, radio shows, podcasts, any content creation, whatever the case may be, is the fact that going into this one, the whole narrative was, oh, Kansas City's going to dominate. Even without Kelsey, even without Chris Jones, they're going to dominate Detroit. Detroit's not ready for this big stage, and, and, and Arrowhead, it's too much, it's too loud. Jared Goff, I was, you know, we were talking about that in the 8 o'clock spot with my man Alfred, and I love Alfred, love the, love the guy, but he was talking about, and a lot of people were talking about how Jared Goff doesn't like these big pressurized situations, doesn't like these big games, and Detroit never wins these big games. And then when they win... The narrative is, what is wrong with Kansas City? I even saw one question on ESPN this morning. Is the Kansas City Chiefs dynasty? Well, is it is it in the balance right now? Even today, we are disrespecting Mike Tirico, who I think is a tremendous broadcaster, on NBC was talking about how, or alluding to the fact how there might be an asterisk next to this Detroit Lions win, given the fact that the Chiefs were without Kelsey, they were without, without Chris Jones, and of course, Kadarius Toney didn't, didn't help Kansas City's cause with, with the three drops he had and the one catch for one yard. As if we're just ignoring the fact that Dan Campbell, from the jump, and I love this about him. F- folks, I and this isn't, you know, hindsight 2020, like I love the hire to happen. You could, you could go back and watch the tape. When the Detroit Lions hired, hired Dan Campbell to be their guy, I ripped the hire. Saw that opening press conference. You heard the soundbite there about the biting kneecaps. And I was like, God, this is this is going to be, this is who they trust to get the Lions back to, I shouldn't even say back to relevance. They haven't won a playoff game in 30 freaking years since Barry Sanders was there. So back to relevance. They haven't been in relevance uh, for, for three decades since the first Bush was president, for crying out loud. This is going to be the guy? Hated the hire. They went 13, uh, I'm sorry, 3-13-1 that first year he was there, and I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. Last year they improved, 9-8. and eight. And we often overlook this so often with head coaches is, yes, they can be great in terms of the X's and the O's. Andy Reid is, is if you're going to compare Andy Reid to even though I didn't th- think he called that good of a game, the, the the reverse on third and short in the fourth quarter was was very confusing. But if you're going to compare Andy Reid to Dan Campbell in terms of X's nose, it's not even a contest. Andy Reid's one of the greatest offensive coaches ever. Every quarterback works with Andy Reid. He's like the, he's a quarterback whisperer in a sense. But and this isn't even a shot at Reid. This is just talking about all coaches in general. I'm not so sure there's that many head coaches forgetting the NFL, even college football. You want to include high school football, you do that as well. That have developed a culture in Detroit. That is, we so often look past that word. We look at talent, as we should. You can't win this league or any league without talent. 
You need smart coaches. Detroit has them. Good defensive coordinator. Excellent offensive coordinator. Although, again, I didn't think he called the greatest game. A little bit of a sloppy night for the offenses, but it's week one that happens. They'll get better as the season progresses. But Dan Campbell's developed a culture in Detroit where they never believe they're out of it. They had a fumble down in the red zone. Remember this, where the game is tied. So Detroit scores off of, obviously, the fake punt, which the kahunas of Dan Campbell to try a, a fake punt on fourth and two inside of his own 20. Detroit wasn't just happy to be here. They were happy to be the, the, the first road team represented in the National Football League season in the year of our Lord, 2023. They said, no, screw, screw that. We're here to win this game. We're here to go into Arrowhead and beat the champs. They try the fake punt. They end up converting. They go on to score that drive. Kansas City answers right back. Mahomes with the touchdown drive. And then the next one, remember, Detroit's driving. They get in the red zone, and Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones fumbles. And it's like this, oh, how many teams in the NFL, particularly teams that we don't view as these successful franchises, like a Kansas City or a San Francisco, a Pittsburgh, or a Baltimore. Think about franchises like the Arizona Cardinals, the Cleveland Browns, the Washington Commanders. Historically, those franchises, when they get down there and you have a Marvin Jones or a guy like him fumble in that situation, when you've got the momentum, you feel good about yourself. Okay, we're clicking offensively. We're feeling. How many times does it just take the wind out of your sails? Detroit didn't let that affect him because of the culture that Dan Campbell has set. And I love that when he was asked after the game about, you know, did, what did you learn from this win? He said, I didn't learn anything. It's the belief from the coaches and his players, and therefore the belief of the players in the head coach. That is something I have beaten this, this table for the last four and a half months. The Detroit Lions will participate and play in the NFC title game. That is an elite offense that didn't even play that well. Didn't, they had two great, you could argue the drive where Marvin Jones fumbled, they obviously moved the ball there. But even their, their first touchdown drive needed a fake punt to, to, to score there. Then they have the second drive where they get down the red zone. They come away with nothing because of the fumble. And, of course, they had the clutch drive in the fourth quarter led by Jared Goff and the running game with a, a tremendous offensive line in Detroit. And they take the lead, which they never relinquished, of course. But the Lions didn't even play that well offensively. So you think about the games in a dome in Detroit. You think about playing defenses that we understand Kansas City is missing Chris Jones. That's a talented young secondary in Kansas City. We saw all throughout the postseason. Kansas City will get Chris Jones back more on the Chiefs in a moment, but I, I think we are often so, so blinded at times with the the whole narrative coming in the game. Like, well, if Kansas City doesn't win, then it's it's because the Chiefs didn't play well and not because Detroit did, or Detroit did play well. Yes, Kansas City made their mistakes. Again, I'll get into them in just a moment. But this notion, like, oh, Detroit's not supposed to win this game. The guys in those lo that locker room doesn't believe that. Dan Campbell doesn't believe that. Love this win by Detroit. Love it. I may have picked Kansas City to win, albeit I did take Lions plus four. But this is the kind of culture you can set in Detroit. This whole, and they'll take this, trust me, the rest of the season. They go into Kansas City and win, and it's, what's wrong with Kansas City? Well, how about what's right with Detroit? We ever thought about that for a moment? Both teams made mistakes. Both teams were sloppy. Both teams had, had, had penalties. Matter of fact, Detroit had some killer penalties. In the second half, the Cam Sutton pass interference, while it was a little touchy, it was by the books, by the, by, by the rule book, that is pass interference. They had some killer penalties at times. But it's the ability to overcome that, to, to, to move past adversity. Again, we forget how difficult it is to play in Kansas City. 
in Arrowhead Stadium, which is arguably the loudest stadium in professional sports. Hats off to the Detroit Lions, man. That's that is that is it's it's games like that. I know we're one weekend, and you certainly don't want to overreact, but I don't think I am overreacting because of the fact that I've I've been high on this team all off season. It's the fact to win to be able to win games like that on the road. The momentum it can bring is is incredible. So hats off to the Detroit Lions. Before I get to Kansas City, let's get some let's get some comments here. My man Darian Hopkins, by the way, the newest addition to the Grid Network. Very excited. Darian did a great show last night reacting uh, to the opening night game. Darren, great show. Hope to see stuff from uh, st- that kind of stuff from you in the future, as well as incredible content. Uh, in, in in part, you know, including your and my Tennessee Volunteers. He says, "Go Vols!" In the comments here again. The Vol view, folks, is in 17 minutes here on carving it up live. But let's get to Kansas City because, again, sort of piggybacking off of what I was saying about Detroit, it's this whole narrative like, "Hey, what was wrong with the Chiefs?" Well, there's a lot of things you could say. They're they didn't have their second best player, Travis Kelsey. They're third best player, and their best overall defensive player in Chris Jones, and Mahomes wasn't exactly aided by his wide receivers. Here's an interesting stat, folks. I I, I saw this earlier today, that Patrick Mahomes, do we have it? Patrick Mahomes, when targeting wide receivers last night, you want to see this? 10 for 22, 135 passing yards, uh, only 32 yards after the catch, one touchdown, the one pick, which I'll get into in just a moment, one touchdown to one pick, and a pass rating of 61, well below average. So 45% completion percentage was a career low for Mahomes when targeting wide receivers. So obviously they did not help his cause. And certainly I would argue that I and some others, because I feel like everybody picked Kansas City to win this game, despite you know, in spite of the fact that we knew, I didn't know on Wednesday Kelsey was going to be out, but I, I thought he would, but I still thought even if there's no Kelsey, Kansas City's fully capable of dropping 30. They have in the past when in, in the rare instances that Travis Kelsey has missed, be that as it may. Uh, th- this is obviously, and we understand how the the Chiefs in the second half struggle to stop the run. I think that helps Chris Jones's cause in terms of his contract negotiations. I'm telling you right now, folks, if I'm Travis Kelsey, not you're not holding out. So we've already you've, the season's already started. It'd be a weird time to hold out, especially when you know you're trying to go after back to back titles. Man, if I'm Travis Kelsey, assuming he's back next week, albeit it's a bone bruise that he's dealing with, that's not. Though those injuries can be funny sometimes in terms of how long it takes to come back. But assuming he comes back nine days from now, week two against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and knock on what he stays healthy the rest of the season. I'm going to that 24 off, 24 off season if I'm Travis Kelsey. I'll be he's getting up there in age. He's 34 years old, I believe. But I'm going to Kansas City and saying, uh, did you see what that tight end in, in Minnesota, TJ Hawkinson, just got? Uh, did you see, see the offense without me? Did you see the offense with me last year with the same collection of talent at wide receiver? Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony for the second half of the season. Maybe I'm a little bit more valuable to the offense than we initially thought. You can certainly make that case if you're Mr. Kelsey. There's no question about that. But there's a lot of, oh, is is it panic mode for Kansas City? And it's as I always say on the show that the, I know yesterday it was a Thursday night game, of course, but the biggest overreaction Mondays in the NFL, the Monday after week one, the Monday after the Super Bowl. Because in both instances, the winning team is the best we've ever seen. And in the case of week one, they may go undefeated. They have an unstoppable offense, a great defense. If it's the Super Bowl, they're going to win the next five championships. And the losing team, oh, they may not win a game this year if it's week one. And if they it's the Super Bowl, they lose the Super Bowl. Coach sucks, quarterback sucks, trade everybody. So I don't want to 
I, I don't like this this narrative I'm them seeing in terms of where people looking at with the Kansas City Chiefs coming into week two next week with you know their matchup with Jacksonville. Travis Kelsey will be back. I wouldn't rule out the possibility maybe Chris Jones is back potentially if they were to get a contract done. We saw him in the box with his agents, but for Kansas City and for Patrick Mahomes and. You saw what I loved about what Mahomes was doing, and this is kind of my, 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 my big point on this in terms of his connection with wide receivers. This isn't to take a shot, honest to God, it's not, at one particular quarterback or even one Hall of Fame, first bout Hall of Fame level quarterback. We saw the drops from Kadarius Toney. They were brutal. I mean, brutal. I would argue that two of the drops cost the Kansas City Chiefs 10 points. The pick six, and then the drop. Remember when Detroit goes for it on fourth down, they play aggressive, which, by the way, I totally agree with the call. I, I love that they went aggressive there. You got you to be aggressive to beat the champs. And Kansas City gets the ball back. He takes a shot down down the field for T- Kadarius Toney, who is wide open, and it goes right through his hands. What I loved about Patrick Mahomes, he kept going to him. He didn't lose faith in him. Now, you could argue that's by necessity, but it wasn't a situation in which outside of the fourth down and a mile that they went for, the fourth and 25, overwhelmingly, Kansas City was having a lot of success in the short game with their tight ends, with, I think, Gray's the tight end's name, and, and Blake Bell that they were using, obviously, to replace Travis Kelsey and these little short, you know, intermediate routes, hitting the check down, whether it's Pacheco, whether it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, Jarrett McKinnon. What I loved about what Mahomes is he kept going to Tony. He kept going to Sky Moore. Not every play they had to take a shot. You see, you know, he's open. I'm going to throw it to him. I, I like what I see here in terms of the coverage. I'm going to take a shot here. How many times have we seen, remember week one last year in Green Bay, Packers fans, you'll remember this very well, better than I would certainly. First play of the season. Aaron Rodgers drops back. He's got a w- rookie wide receiver by the name of Christian Watson in there. Christian Watson beats the corner. He's going to stroll into the end zone. Aaron Rodgers delivers as beautiful a pass as you could possibly throw. It goes right through the wide receiver's hands. goes right through Christian Watson's hands. Christian Watson does not touch the football, doesn't even really get a look until the fourth quarter. Remember we heard Randall Cobb talking to the Jets wide receivers during hard knocks? Like if he said, and this is true, if Randall Cobb would know better than anybody. If Aaron doesn't trust you, he's not throwing you the ball. Mahomes, and you heard him reiterate in the press conference, I trust I, I trust Kandarius Tony. I'm going to keep going to him. I'm going to build his confidence. And I know there's some people defending Tony in the sense like, hey, he missed training camp. Uh, he had the injury, obviously, and he really worked hard to come back for this week one for Banner Night in Kansas City. We understand that. And, of course, he made some some huge plays in the Super Bowl against Philadelphia. And he has as, as much talent as as any gadget guy because I think that's how he's going to be used in Kansas City. He's not, he's not obviously as good as Tyree Kill as, as anybody in the league. I don't think that's a, that's a great excuse for a guy dropping passes. I mean, that is... You are a wide receiver. That is kind of your job to catch passes, to receive passes from the quarterback. But sometimes it happens. Kadarius Tony deleted his Twitter account or his X account, whatever. I think he might have deleted his Instagram account. So he's he's cutting out all the distractions, all the noise. There's a lot of hate coming his way. He goes the next week. He's got more time to prepare, more time to think about it, more time to work with Mahomes and the offense. We assume Travis Kelsey will be back. Kansas City will be fine. They will. I thought defensively, actually, they did a solid job in stopping the run the first half. They forced Jared Goff into situations, a pocket quarterback, by the way, where he had to make some tough throws. And props to Jared Goff. He's a lot... Again, I don't think Jared Goff's elite. I mean, I think he's going to be in the NFC title game for the second time in his career this season. That, that's been my preseason prediction since, well, April, since the draft, really, when I thought Detroit had a great draft and a great free agency. But 
Jared Goff is capable of making those throws. They forced him into tough throws, and he made him, to his credit. By the way, Jared Goff, <laughs> amazingly, is 2-0 against Patrick Mahomes in his career. Of course, the first win being when he was in L.A., that crazy Monday night matchup. We remember that. I think it was 54-51 was the final score. And Goff, you could argue, make a strong case, he outperformed Mahomes in that Monday night classic. And he performed at Mahomes, uh, outperformed Mahomes last night. Real quick, then I'll get to some comments and then move on to, to Joe Burrow's contract. The pick. That's that, that really the momentum swinger uh, in the game where Mahomes throws... A, is routine a, th- a passes you could you could throw to to Kadarius Tony goes right through his hands one of his three drops Brian Branch the rookie comes in by the way he had an excellent college career Brian Branch makes a nice play on the ball comes right to him returns it you know basically 50 yards for a touchdown that tied the game and Detroit never really looked back in terms of momentum for a second and Patrick Mahomes is the obviously he's the best quarterback in the league I don't think think there's a debate in that regard, with all with all due respect to Joe Burrow, who's number two in my my eyes, Patrick Mahomes might be the not the greatest. I think there's a difference between greatest and best. I think Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback we've ever seen. I certainly think that is the case. But for one split moment, Patrick Mahomes got to experience what Dak Prescott had to deal with all of last season, especially in that play. Remember Dak Prescott. Overtime against Jacksonville, third down, takes a snap. There's pressure coming for the right, so he kind of he shuffles. He rolls to the left, hits Noah Brown, a beautiful little sidearm. Goes right through Noah's Brown, Noah Brown's hands. I think Jenkins, the kid for Jacksonville, picks it off, runs it back for a game-winning touchdown. Mahomes, for a split second, got to feel what Dak Prescott felt like. So I guess that pick is on Mahomes, right? I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna, if we're gonna play that game, I guess that that's a it's, a it's not a good enough throw by Mahomes. He should have he should have put so much just so much uh, mustard on that throw. I don't know. People were people were quick to to rush to defend him on uh, people people were quick to to rush to defend him on Twitter as they should. It was not Mahomes' fault. But <laughs> if that was Dak, I think it would be a different story, at least based on last year's experience. But maybe it's just me. John Rivera's in the comments. Uh, he's re- referencing my re- reference of Aaron Rodgers. He says it's a shot. <laughs> I, again, I, it's it's. I don't even know if it's a shot as much as it is. it's reality. Reality of Aaron Rodgers. By the way, he's not the only receiver that's done. Tom Brady's done that in the past. Not 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 to the level Aaron has, but Tom's done that. Where if he doesn't trust you, do you remember his last year in New England when he had that? If you're going to call that a wide receiving core, knock yourself out. It was awful, but. Remember Tom Brady went in the huddle, and he wasn't mic'd up, but the cameras kind of caught him saying, can somebody effing get open? Like, he's getting frustrated. So, like, that's props to Mahomes. Tony was getting open. Now, was that bad Detroit defense? I don't think so. They addressed it big time in the draft with and in free agency with Gardner Johnson, Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, another guy out of Tennessee, go Vols, didn't even play in this game. He'll be back. He's an excellent nickel corner, was great for the 49ers in that regard. Uh, they have, obviously, they drafted Brian Branch, who made the defensive play of the game. So, you know, he was getting open. Was it bad lines defense? I don't think so. I think it was Kadarius Stone running great routes and not finishing them off. John Rivera says, Kansas City needs to get on the phone with the Cardinals and get one of those wide receivers. Maybe... Uh, I, I know there's a lot of mention of Mike Evans. I talked about Mike Evans, was it earlier? I think it was last week. I think it was last Friday about how there's, and there's a report that came out today that it doesn't look like Mike Evans set the, the deadline for, I believe it was tomorrow, to get a long-term deal done in Tampa. A recent report said it's 
doesn't look like it's going to get done. So Mike Evans could be on the move. Could just can't now. See the interesting thing with Mike Evans, he's obviously an excellent deep threat. He's he's un, uncoverable down the red zone. Six five. What are we going to give him? Two two thirty two. I mean, he's big, big, strong athlete. Great receiver. Has had a thousand yard receiver every year, receiving year every time in you know every year in his career. Is he a great fit for Kansas City? Again, I'm not rushing to make a trade for Mike Evans until I see this offense and these receivers with Travis Kelsey again. Because we understand Juju Smith-Schuster was there last year. They missed McCole Hardman over the second half of the season. He got injured. Now he's with the Jets, obviously. But I, I want to see this offense with Travis Kelsey. Again, it's it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. The, to me, these are the last two individuals we should, we should be panicking about. Okay? If it's, if it's Sam Howell and Ron Rivera, maybe a different story. But... Mahomes and Andy Reid, come on, the, the, the last people to panic about. And by the way, I, you know, I always drink Gatorade during the show, and I've got the, I guess you could say, like, Lions-colored Gatorade, so. Yeah, I got to listen, I, I may not be a Detroit Lions fan, but I don't like Lions disrespect. I think they've done, like, listen, they haven't had playoff success, we understand that, but, you know, to a certain extent, you got to, you know, give yourself an opportunity in terms of, of getting yourself in the playoffs, and, Detroit's definitely getting the, getting the playoffs, knocking what everybody stays healthy. But, uh, no, they're getting in. It's just, I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're about to make a run. You just wait. Uh, by the way, actually, you know what? I'll save that for my predictions. I, I won't. I'll, I'll save that for, again, week one NFL predictions toward the end of the show. The Vol Viewpoint in just a few minutes, maybe a little late. We usually start the Vol Viewpoint, or we're going to start the view, Vol Viewpoint. I keep calling it Vol Viewpoint. The Vol View, apologies to the audience, the Vol View usually will start at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time on on the show, so a half hour in, but uh, may, may get started a little late because I did want to get into the Joe Burrow contract, which broke, it felt like a minute after kickoff. A minute after Harrison Bucker since that, sent that football into the night sky to kick off the new NFL season, everybody's excited, uh, the Joe Burrow contract news broke, and we'd heard rumblings over the past few days that it looks like a deal was going to get done before they took the field against Cleveland, which is great. You don't want Joe Burrow, certainly if you, if you are Joe Burrow and the injury history he has, even going back just a month ago, two months ago, with the, the training camp injury with his calf, you you love the fact that he's he's going to be out there ready to go with long-term security. By the way, for those wondering, it's a five-year, $270 million deal, which makes him the highest-paid player in the history of the National Football League. Uh, and oh, by the way, he also gets the most guaranteed money ever uh, that any player's ever gotten in the history of the league. That is 219 mil fully guaranteed. I apologize, five-year, $275 million. So... Joe Barr got paid. He, he got, and by the way, he's he's as deserving as as any quarterback that you could think of uh, of this type of money. Listen, we talk about the quarterback market and guys who we debate like, ah, is that what they're worth? Well, it's what the market dictates given the success that they've had in their NFL career. And listen, Joe Burrow has lifted a franchise in Cincinnati from irrelevance and football obscurity to a certain extent. So now we look at them as as one of the three or four contenders in the NFL. I had them on my first ever of the season, Bryson's best 10, every Wednesday on the show, by the way. I had the Cincinnati Bengals as the third best team in the NFL. It's an excellent defense, doesn't get enough credit. And then offensively, Burrow, Higgins, Chase, good tight ends, good, you know, Tyler Boyd's there and upgraded at left tackle too. But I, was, I saw this, I'm like, okay, Joe, Burr gets, Joe Burr, Burrow gets his contract. Jalen Hurts got paid. Mar Jackson got paid. Justin Herbert got paid. All deservedly so, by the way. 
But I was saying, okay, what does this mean for Dak Prescott? Because Dak Prescott has got two years left in his deal. Reportedly, the Cowboys and Dak have had discussions about a potential contract extension. And it's sort of like a hold-your-breath moment. Oh, crap, are we going into another two, two-and-a-half-year run of Dak Prescott contract talks? I remember talking about that in my show when that was going down. It was it was my least favorite segment and, and topic I've ever done on my show ever. It was, it was horrible. It's like, guys, just sign the guy's franchise quarterback easily. But he's got two years left in his deal. And here's what I think is interesting about Dak. He's got a very unique contract. We hear about guys with a no-trade clause, which essentially means, for those of you who don't know, that if it, if the Cowboys called the I don't know the Atlanta Falcons tomorrow and said we're gonna we're, we're gonna agree to a deal to send Dak Prescott to the Atlanta Falcons, Dak Prescott has the right, according to his contract, to sit up there and say I'm not going to Atlanta, and they can't trade him. It's no trade clause. He also has this though, and far as I know, I don't think this is common among deals. Not only does he have a no trade clause, he also has a no tag clause so the Cowboys if this contract expires and and Dak doesn't have another deal in Dallas they can't franchise tag him it's either they give him a long-term extension they trade him before the contract runs out or they just let him walk in free agency but they cannot give him the franchise tag so and and that's that's obviously huge I've always said I hate I hate I hate I hate the franchise tag it's like the it's 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 purgatory for these NFL franchises and these 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 excellent football players that it, you're not even going to give them really the engagement ring. I mean, it's kind of an engagement ring, but it's 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 more of a it's more of like popping the question as a possibility as as opposed to a certainty to a certain extent. You think about the highest paid players in the NFL. By the way, I saw I was on the Cowboys camp fan. Shout out to those guys who do a fantastic job here on the Grid Network. They showed the largest cap hits of quarterbacks in the NFL. And Dak was up there. I saw like Ryan Tannehill, guys like that. Like, dang, Ryan Tannehill's top five in cap hit. That's not great for Tennessee. It's probably why they drafted a quarterback. Not sure what they're going to do that position in the future. But point is for Dallas. We know the streak, 28 straight years. Forget Super Bowl appearances. 28 years without a conference championship appearance. And I've... Been on the show earlier this week on Monday with Ryan Flowers. Shout out to Ryan, Clutch Sports Talk. And I said, I think Dallas is going to the Super Bowl. I think this is as, I don't think this is like Dallas's best roster in the 28-year stretch, but it's their clearest path. San Francisco has questions in terms of can Purdy stay healthy. By the way, what will Brock Purdy look like with the, the elbow surgery? That's a legitimate question. Philadelphia lost multiple players on defense, lost both their coordinators. That, that That's a serious question. Detroit, I think, is going to get to the NFC Championship game. But I'm going to roll with, I love, and I really like Jared Goff, but I'm going to roll with Dak Prescott if it comes down to that. And also, too, this streak, and Jerry Jones, we understand he's, he's, he's put out these quotes about how he would, he'd write a blank check. He put out a blank check. If he, if he could just write a check to, to win the Super Bowl, he'd do it. If Dak leads Dallas, not even to the Super Bowl, to the NFC title game, Dak's going to get the richest contract in NFL history. like Because Dak can go to that table in Dallas and say, time out, Jerry. If Jerry pushes back, and I don't think he would, but if he did, because Jerry is known, we've seen with Dak, with Demarcus Lawrence, with Zeke, with, uh, with, with Trayvon Diggs, with Zach Martin, 
Jerry's known to cave into players, even with Dak, as long as that contract battle lasted. He eventually caved, and Dak got a great contract. So much so, Jerry actually told Dak to his face, I ever paid for you, which was unnecessary, but that's what he said. But Dak can go to that negotiation table, or Dak's agent can go to the negotiation table. Dak says he stays out of it. Don't know if that's true or not. Point B. Go to the negotiation table and say, time out, Jerry. I've been statistically one of the most successful, if not the most successful Cowboys quarterback ever in my first eight years. I've come back from an ankle injury that could have been career-threatening. I've dealt with nothing but chaos in this organization for my first year. Is it Dak? Is it Romo? A lot of that was caused by the owner, obviously, and props to Jason Garrett, who was a limited head coach, but Jason Garrett said, no, no, Dak works for this team. We're going to move with him. You had the Zeke suspension year two. And then by year four, you're the contract negotiation talk with Dallas. You hear that ramping up. He had to deal with that in 2019. Dealt with it in 2020 on top of an ankle injury that could have been career-threatening. 2021, I throw for 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns. I have a passer rating over 100. We win 12 games and have the best offense in the league. That's pretty good. Last year, people talk about the interception problem. Again, I think Dak, I think, led the NFL in, in, in plays that were not turnover-worthy. So that's in terms of his interceptions. So he had the games. He had he, he destroyed Philadelphia's defense on Christmas Eve. He he went went rough shot on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Actually retired the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady. Dak Prescott did that on that Monday night in the wild card round. If Dak comes back this year, replicates statistically his 2021 season, and gets Dallas to a spot that they haven't been in since Bill Clinton was president, you don't think Dak has the leverage? considering the fact that he does have the no-trade clause and has the no-tag clause. And Dak can also say to Jerry, listen, you told me, over." Dak probably wouldn't say this, maybe his agent would, Todd France, go to the table with Jerry and say, you might have said to, told Dak, you, know, you overpaid for him in 2021 at that, at that press conference, at the star. Dak is barely, barely a top 10 highest paid quarterback in the NFL within Two and a half years of when he signed that contract in 2021. See, at the time he signed, he was the highest paid. Now he's barely in the top 10. Who's to say that as the salary cap begins to tick up, as Trevor Lawrence gets paid, and other quarterbacks of the future, you know, re-up their deals? Who's to say that within the next couple of years, 2025, Dak is at the 7th or 8th highest paid quarterback in the league, which is, well, that's about where I've got him. I've got Dak as the 8th best quarterback in football. So you can argue, to a certain extent today, given his production, Dak might be just a hair underpaid. $40 million now for a quarterback is like, oh, but let's do that. Daniel Jones got $40 million. Giving Daniel Jones $40 million in 2021 would have been unthinkable. Now it's trending towards $60 million. And you bet everything you got. If Dak leads the Cowboys to that point to the NFC title game, he's getting the back the biggest bag in the history of the National Football League. So, if I'm Dak Prescott, I see Joe Burrow get the steal. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. Jalen Hurts gets paid, and Herbert gets paid, and now Burrow gets paid. Oh, this is just making me richer by the day. Big season for Dallas. For Dak in particular, a lot of pressure. There's no question about that. But I think he has every every bit of the capabilities from a talent standpoint, from a coachability standpoint, to an intangible standpoint, and from a football makeup standpoint to get Dallas to Super Bowl 58. I think they'll fall to Kansas City, but I think he gets them there. By the way, 
This goes back, and then I'll get to the vault view. This right here goes to a, I just saw this on my phone about a half hour ago. Actually, right before right before the show started. That, uh, I talked about this, gosh, was it right when training camp started? You know, this the, the, the writer's strike in Hollywood is going right now, and unfortunately for the actors, the writer doesn't seem like there's, at least from my, what I've read, a whole lot of traction in that regard. But I said, Fall TV is dead this over the next few months because of the strike. People aren't filming anything. Did a whole segment about that and about how football, this could be the highest rated NFL season ever. Here's this. Detroit Lions, Kansas City Chiefs, and ESPN and Peacock is media's most watched show since the Super Bowl, averaging nearly 27 million viewers. I have no reason to believe that that will not tick up as time goes on. Now, love this new segment we got for Carving It Up Live. Introduced it last week. As you guys know, I'm a big Tennessee fan. I got this helmet. Hang on. Let me twist it that way a little bit. There we go. See the power T there? There we go. So, uh, I'm a big Tennessee Vols fan. Had a successful week one against uh, the Virginia Cavaliers. Got Austin P coming to town for the Vols home opener this week. But before I even get any of that, it is the Vol View. Here we go. Roll the tape. The latest edition of the Vol View right now on Carving It Up Live. Very exciting week two matchup for the Tennessee Volunteers. They got a, a game against uh, Austin P. Uh, this weekend uh, in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. Kickoff at 5 Eastern uh, in in Neyland Stadium. Uh, that game, by the way, is on ESPN Plus and the SEC Network Plus for uh, fellow Vols fans looking to obviously catch this game. So, real quick, and then I'll get into sort of my larger point for what the segment's for. Joe Milton uh, played a very good game against uh, the Virginia Cavaliers uh, last week. Got off to a little bit of a rough start. Had some accuracy problems, which has been a bugaboo of his from time to time. But had a good completion percentage. Went 21 for 30. 201 yards. Two touchdowns. No interceptions. QBR is not mind-blowing. It's about 68. So, you know, it's, it's above average. It's 0 to 100. 68's not bad. But the story for the Vols in this game, and I think is, is his, and I've talked about this on Carving It Up for a year, is so incredibly underrated in the Josh Heupel offense is how effectively they run the ball and how that opens up everything for the passing game. Almost almost making, and this feels weird for Tennessee's quarterbacks, be it Hendon Hooker the last couple of years and now Joe Milton this season, it almost relegates them to a certain extent as amazing game managers because the offense is able to scheme these receivers open because the defense has to respect the running game. Tennessee, albeit against a bad Virginia defense, 
Ran for 287 yards. That's about 5.5 yards a clip. Five touchdowns on the day. You had Dylan Sampson going off for three touchdowns. Jalen Wright, Jabari Small. uh, Jalen Wright went for over 100 yards himself. Joe Milton ran for a couple of tuds as well. And by the way, before I get to Joe Milton and the the main point of the segment, Tennessee tomorrow is going to play Austin P. It's again, it's the home opener at Neyland Stadium. Sold out crowd. It's going to be electric as always is, as it is in, in Neyland in Knox, Vegas. And Tennessee's going to honor, for those of you don't, that don't know this name, Condridge Holloway. He was the SEC's first ever black starting quarterback. He started for Tennessee 51 years ago tomorrow, uh, back in 1972. For Tennessee, he was a true trailblazer in the sport. And Joe Milton happens to wear his number, uh, number seven. And the Vols are going to honor, I, sh- I should have probably put up the picture on the show, but Joe Milton is going to honor uh, Condridge Holloway. And the, and the, and the Vols are going to honor, honor Condridge Holloway in wearing special smoky gray uniforms on Saturday night against Austin P. So it's going to be a great opportunity to pay re- pay respect and pay tribute uh, to Conrad Holloway, who is, is still with us, has been a great ambassador uh, for Tennessee Vols football and Tennessee sports as a whole. So for Joe Milton, obviously, by the way, obviously I have Tennessee win this game. I, I'm looking at ESPN. I don't even see a Vegas line <laughs> right now. I'm trying to find it. I don't see a Vegas line, so I'm sure it's going to be through the roof. Tennessee, by the way, was 12th ranked last week, which I thought was... I talked about this a month ago, was absurd. Absurd. I think Clemson certainly validated what I said about them going into the season. That's neither here nor there. Tennessee now ranked ninth, which I feel is a bit more appropriate. They could certainly move higher as this season goes on. They're going to go 11-1, make the college football playoff. I maintain that. For Joe Milton, though, and here's what I want to get into today. So we have as much talent at the quarterback position I've said for the last couple of years in the show, it's a quarterback's league in talking about the NFL, and you see that trend kind of happening in college. There's a lot more college offenses coming in the NFL as of late that you've seen, but just in the Pac-12 alone, and we'll talk about Caleb Williams in the second segment, you got Caleb Williams. You've got uh, you've got uh, Shador Sanders at Colorado. I think Shador Sanders is the third best college quarterback in America behind Caleb and behind Drake May. And he's in a legit battle with Drake May, in my view, as the second best QB in college football. You've got Michael Penix Jr., the lefty out of Washington, who is deadly accurate and has a big-time arm as well. You got I'm not as high on Bo Nix as a lot of people are, but Bo Nix is a very talented young quarterback at Oregon. By the way, in at, at uh, Florida State, you got Jordan Travis. You know, in 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 Texas, again, not quite as high on him as a lot of people are. Quinn Ewers, talented young quarterback. And then you've got Joe Milton, who's kind of the wild card in this sort of quarterback discussion going next year's draft. So Joe Milton is a senior. He will be eligible for or he's been eligible. He'll go into the NFL draft presumably next spring. Where does he fit in this mix among the most talented QBs? We know Caleb Williams, whenever draft that he comes out in, again, more on that in the second in this next segment, Caleb Williams is going to go number one. We Let's just assume for the sake of argument, he goes number one in the 2024 draft. Then you're going to have a debate between Drake May, Shador Sanders, assuming Shador comes back. And a lot again, a lot of this is factors on which quarterbacks decide to stay and decide to, to leave. Because I think there's a possibility Shador Sanders stays at Colorado to stay to, to, to play one more year under dad, under Deion Sanders. So that's within the realm of possibility as well. So let's say you got Williams, Drake May, and let's just say Shador Sanders stays at Colorado. So then you're going to have probably Michael Penix Jr. Then I think the debate starts for Joe Milton. Because what Joe Milton is, I was talking to 
to uh, to Parnell, who hosts the Commander's Demand podcast here on the grid, does a great job. I was talking to him about this today. He was asking me about what I think about Joe Milton. He really likes him. I said, I think Joe Milton is going to be next year's draft's Anthony Richardson. Now, he's not quite as athletic as Anthony Richardson, but I think is... Richardson's my, my question with him is accuracy, but that's something that I think can be fixed, especially if you're this incredible talent. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback, including Josh Allen, who has a bigger arm than Joe Milton. There is a video online from this, and albeit he's not wearing pads, but there's a video from when Joe Milton was at the Manning Passing Academy, and he threw a football 90 yards. But the football's bigger in the NFL, and Joe Milton wasn't wearing pads. That's insane. That, 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 just, that, that just, human beings should not be able to do that. But Joe Milton can. He can stretch the field as well as any quarterback in college football. He reminds me again of, he'll sort of be the project of this draft. He's not, he doesn't have the overall package like a Caleb Williams. He's not the passer, the, the, the elite passer in and out of the pocket as, he's not as good of a passer, I think, in the pocket as Drake May. He's not as good of a passer outside the pocket as Shador Sanders. Again, to me, those are the three clear best quarterbacks in America right now in college football. But Joe Milton's not going to be in discussion, in all likelihood, to be in that top five mix. Again, there's going to be a lot of teams next year that are going to need quarterbacks. Arizona's going to need a quarterback. Tampa Bay's going to need a quarterback. Do, are there some other teams down the road? Does, does Atlanta decide to kick the tires? Atlanta's got some good weapons that are on the cheap, not costing much for them. What if Joe Milton ends up with a coach that it kind of tailors to his successes? What if it is, I know we kind of laugh at them as a franchise historically, or I shouldn't say historically, within the last two or three decades, Washington, what if Eric Bieniemy is your head coach? Eric Bieniemy comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree, which historically has been very good. And has been very successful with young quarterbacks. If he ends up with Eric Bieniemy in Washington, albeit that's a brutal division with Philly and Dallas and the New York Giants, but you got the weapons of Terry McLaurin. Offensive line needs some work, but they've got some nice players there. Defensively, they're as sound as anybody in that division. What if you get Joe Milton in, in Washington? If Sam Howell maybe doesn't pan out into what Commanders fans may hope for him to be? Does he develop front? Does, does he develop? Under Eric Bieniemy, maybe have a, has a rough rookie year. Again, the only accuracy. Again, I think if you're an, a, a raw talent, which Joe Milton is, that can be fixed. And, and hit, again, his accuracy issues. Again, he went 21 for 30 in this game. It, it's not like it's a a situation where Anthony Richardson barely completed over 50 percent of his passes at Florida. It's a it's a little bit of a confidence issue in the sense of. If you could, you probably won't see it a ton against Austin P because Tennessee will win that game, obviously. But against Florida in the swamp next Saturday, against Alabama at Bryant Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, against maybe the biggest game of the college football season, regular season, Tennessee playing Georgia at home in the second to last week of the regular season. If he makes a mistake, maybe airmails a guy, maybe underthrows a guy, or something maybe doesn't go right. You see, not in a in a, a like a condescending sense to his teammates, but really towards himself. You see a little bit of a dropping the shoulders, and it kind of affects him the next two to three plays. The best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, and even in college football, have quick memories. You got to snap out of it. You got to move on. You got to move on to the next play. That play happened. You can't do anything to change it. You adjust. You move on. Joe Milton has struggled with that in the past. That's something that I think his 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 predecessor at the quarterback position at Tennessee, Hinton Hooker, did a great job of. Like if Hendon Hooker, the rare mistakes that he did make, 
Okay, move on from it. Let's go to the next play. Joe Milton has struggled with that at times. If he can correct that here at Tennessee this last year there, and if he ends up with a coach that can that can really bring out the best out of him from a talent and from a intangible from an intangible perspective, man, we could be seeing the second coming of Josh Allen and Joe Milton. He's got the arm. He's more accurate than Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming. He's a big, strong athlete. He's mobile. Not quite as mobile as Josh, but mobile. It's the little stuff. It's the it's it's the tiny, it's the confidence stuff that he needs to work out at Tennessee, and then whoever he gets drafted by the NFL. He's a first-round talent, no question. But what he does tomorrow and moving on the rest of the season will go a long way in determining whether or not he's a surefire first-round talent. Very excited to see Joe Milton tomorrow, to see the Vols tomorrow. Again, I didn't even create a graphic for this game because I didn't think there was any point in doing it. Austin Peay's not a Power 5 school. I got to, and by the, again Vegas doesn't even have a line at least here on ESPN. I'll say Tennessee wins; they'll win easily. I'll go 50, 56, seven. That's what I got. Fifty six seven. So uh, again, by the way, that is the ball viewpoint once again here on Carving Up Live. Until next week for a big matchup against Florida. Go Vols! Fifty six to seven over Austin P. Let's go to Tuno and let's keep moving up the top twenty five. The Vol View. Until next time, we'll see you then. This gives me chills to hear the late, great John Ward's voice. One of the greatest, greatest radio broadcasters in the history of the world. He was awesome. So that is the Vol View. Again, we'll be back next week, obviously, with that segment. But before we get into NFL predictions week one, which I'm so freaking excited to start. I'm I'm already, this is the second straight year that I start 0-1, my predictions. It is what it is. It's not like I was going to go 272-0, but... At least want at least want to maybe give yourself a shot at it, you know. But sticking college football, then we'll get into NFL Week One predictions. So Caleb Williams' dad was talking recently to uh, Carl Williams is his name. Uh, was talking to GQ in a recent profile for Caleb Williams covering him, and he was talking about how this you know Caleb Williams could who's who's again we all agree is a surefire no question number one overall pick of the draft he's been dubbed as kind of the next Mahomes and from a tape perspective you could see a lot of the the similarities there but Carl Carl Williams was talking to GQ and he said quote the truth is he meaning Caleb can come back to school the funky thing about the NFL draft process is he'd almost be better off not being drafted than, than being drafted first the system is completely backwards the way the system is constructed you go from the worst possible situation or you go, you go to the worst possible situation. The worst possible team, the worst organization in the league because of their desire for parity, gets the first pick, and so it's the gift and the curse. End quote. So, obviously, it's funny that 
Carl Williams bring this up, and it's it's why it's so it's infinitely more difficult, at least in my eyes, to build a downtrodden program in college football. Not quite as difficult as it used to be now with the transfer portal in NIL. But it's why what Deion Sanders pulled off on Saturday and is, I think, going to continue to do at Colorado is just, it's darn near unprecedented to take over a program that (laughs) incompetent and atrocious and all the big words that say bad and turn it into a top 25 program within a week. So it's so difficult to do. And he's he's right, Carl Carl is right in the fact that you know, if you suck in college football, you, your reward is not the first pick. If you're, you've got 0 and 17 in the NFL, hey, silver lining is as long as there's no trades involved, you're going to have the first selection. You're going get to get to take the best player in college football in all likelihood that's going to be a quarterback because if you go 0 and 17, your quarterback's probably not great. So here's here's why the way I view this. So Caleb Williams is, we understand the talent that he is. If God forbid, knock on wood for Caleb, if he goes down, again, I'm not, I am not trying to speak this into existence because I don't, you don't want to see anybody go down, anybody. But if, God forbid, Caleb Williams went down tomorrow with an Achilles, an ACL or something, wouldn't it affect his draft stock a little bit? Just, just a little bit. As far as, Will he be able to be as... By the way, Dak's a good example. Dak is not near the talent of Caleb Williams. We talked about Dak a lot on the show. But when Dak hurt the ankle to now, he's not the same quarterback from a mobility perspective. Now, he's improved drastically as a pocket passer. He can still make plays from time to time outside the pocket. There's a a rollout pass for a touchdown he had against Tampa Bay that would show you that. But if you look at Dak's rookie year to now, from a mobility standpoint, he's not the same guy. And I think the ankle injury had a lot to do with that. Part of what Caleb makes Caleb Williams great is his playmaking ability outside of the pocket. So I say all that to say this. If the Arizona Cardinals get the number one pick in the draft, which I think they will, and Caleb Williams says, I don't want to go to Arizona, I'm just going to play another year at USC. Try and go win either a second or third Heisman or a first or second national championship, depending on how USC season go goes. He's running that risk for 12-plus more games. Why? Here's my solution. Do what John Elway and his father, Mr. Elway, did back in 1983. Baltimore Colts, they were the Baltimore Colts at the time, had the number one pick. John Elway, John Elway's dad, we're not going there. We are not going to Baltimore. He gets traded to Denver. The rest, as they say, is history. The Colts move out of Baltimore. They leave. They go to Indianapolis. Baltimore doesn't have an NFL franchise until the Ravens come in as an expansion team in the 90s. And John Elway goes to Denver, wins multiple Super Bowls, and is, in that span, probably the best quarterback in football Maybe outside of Joe Montana. Maybe. Elway was amazing. Eli Manning. Archie Manning. 2004, infamously. San Diego Chargers got the number one pick. Eli's like, I don't want to go there. Archie, I don't don't want my son going to San Diego. And I don't like the organization there. We see the infamous picture. Eli's on stage with the commissioner, Paul Tagliabue. He's got the he's got the jersey that says Manning, the Chargers jersey. He's got the Chargers hat. Like, it just, Eli doesn't look, like, thrilled to be there. Not to be there, but to be drafted by the Chargers. In the middle of that draft, he's traded the New York Giants. The rest, as they say, is history. Giants go on to win two Super Bowls with Eli, and we have serious debates despite, outside of those two years, he was kind of a middle-of-the-pack, above-average quarterback. We have debates. Hey, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Because of what he did in those two Super Bowl runs, which was incredible. 
I think Caleb Williams and Carl Williams should do the should pull the exact same strategy. Do not go back to USC for another year. There's the only bad things can happen with that. There's no upside. What are you gonna do? Prove it teams. Hey, I, I, I'm the clear. It's, it's, you can't get higher than one. I'm gonna prove that I'm the no doubt first overall pick in 2025. Well, we, we if you didn't play a game, we'd have known that. By the way, you're gonna make a lot more money in the NFL. I'm sure he's getting getting paid well. I know he's on those Dr Pepper commercials on that I see on on uh, on TV during college football games. But you're gonna get a lot better contract in the NFL, especially if you're the first overall pick in the in, in the NFL than you are obviously in college with NIL. I don't care how big those deals are in NIL. Don't go back to USC. If the Arizona Cardinals or somebody else, if he doesn't want to go to Tampa, which Tampa I think actually could make some sense, they'll probably move on from Todd Bowles, move for uh, you know uh, an offensive head coach. Maybe they maybe they go and get the enemy. Who knows? But they've got some solid pieces there. Tampa Bay's historically been a pretty talented team in the past. Within the last 25, 30 years, they just can't find a quarterback. Obviously, it took Tom Brady coming there, won a Super Bowl. Caleb Williams is, is a no-doubt you know, first overall pick for Tampa. He could succeed there. But is it Arizona historically? I think there is a, and Carl Williams alludes to, like it's a weird system in the NFL compared to college where the worst team gets a reward, a prize. And it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm not against that system. I, th- I think it does, to a certain extent, maintain parity. Although we know there's about six to eight franchises in the NFL we know somehow, some way are going to screw it up. They're going to mess up their draft picks. They're not going to hire the right coaches. They're just that we don't really believe in them. Like, it takes a generational talent to turn them around. See Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. The, the Cincinnati was in that class until they drafted Joe Burrow, and it's changed everything. And Ch- Caleb Williams, I think, will do that for whoever drafts him. But I think there's also... Call me. See, I, 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 here's what here's what I don't want to sound like. I don't want to sound like the self righteous baseball writers who refuse to vote certain players in the Hall of Fame because they didn't like them as people. The steroid thing is BS. They voted steroid guys in the Hall of Fame. They just because they didn't like certain guys like Bonds and A Rod, etc. Because they probably weren't the best in the media, and this is the media's way to take it out on them. I'll do segments about that in the future. I don't want to sound like that. But Arizona's been one of the poorest run franchise in the league franchises in the league ever they I think the stat is correct they have not had a head coach in their history and they've been around darn near a century I think the Cardinals been around since the 1930s they have not had a head coach stay for more than six seasons you know oftentimes when we compare my Steelers to the Cleveland Browns Pittsburgh since 1969 has had a grand total of three head coaches and the Browns have had like feels like a hundred. Arizona's kind of had that same level of instability with their head coach. Historically, they unless they bring in a a good veteran to an uh, all time great veteran, in the case of Kurt Warner or Car- Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer's not an all time great quarterback, but was a good veteran player. Had some success there in Arizona with Bruce Arians. Unless they bring in a good veteran, they they can't find the quarterback. We thought maybe they found it with Kyler, but there's some maturity issues there. He struggles to stay healthy, and they're almost assuredly going to trade him and, and bring in more assets to try and, once again, try and rebuild this broken operation. Their facilities are bad. Their organization's poorly run. They can't get the head coach right. Is there almost a sense of, well, then do they deserve? And, and, and I don't like that word deserve. I think you're, I'm more towards the earn you know, path. Do they really even deserve Caleb Williams? Tampa Bay has been decently run. They're not, again, we, this, maybe this is revisionist history because they won that Super Bowl with Brady. 
But Tampa Bay has two Super Bowls in the last two decades. Packers can't say that. Broncos can't say that. Pittsburgh's one of the few that can. Kansas City just now equaled that. In the last 20 years or so. So they they haven't had incompetence in the front office. They've just missed some draft pick from time to time, and they can't draft a quarterback. If Tampa Bay gets the first pick, and they, again, I, I really genuinely like Todd Bowles as a person, and as my man Ryan talked about Monday, he's a heck of a defensive. I'd keep him in Tampa Bay just to be the defensive coordinator. He's that great. But he's probably not going to be the head coach that takes the Bucks into the future. We'll see how this season plays out, of course. If Tampa gets the first pick, if I'm Caleb Williams, I'm going to Tampa. If it's Arizona, I'm good. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pull I'm gonna pull a John Elway. I'm gonna pull an Eli Manning and request a trade, force a trade elsewhere. I I, I think coming back to USC, only bad things can happen. He doesn't need to convince us he's the first pick, and he doesn't need to play at USC just to avoid the Cardinals, for example. He could still enter the draft. He could still go first overall, and he could still be traded. And the Cardinals could take another young quarterback, and you hope that they don't screw up that, whether it be a Drake May or a Michael Penix Jr., etc. So, I, I listen, C- Caleb is Caleb be, be the first overall pick of the draft was tomorrow. We know that. I just think that that's the strategy that he needs. He, him, and his dad and his family and everybody needs to needs to employ. With Eli did it. Didn't we? Didn't criticize Eli terribly. John Elway did it. We didn't rip John Elway. It's not rip Caleb Williams. That's the strategy he should use. I'll tell you this, though. I really hope that Caleb Williams ends up on an NFC team. A, so my Steelers don't have to <laughs> don't have to face him. Of course, he probably won't end up in the AFC North because he got Burrow, he got Lamar, he got Kenny Pickett, and Deshaun Watson. He's locked in for the long haul in, in, in Cleveland, regardless of what his, what his on-field productivity is. But, and that and the NFC, look, Jalen Hurts is excellent. I love Dak Prescott. I think Derek Carr might be the third best quarterback in the NFC. Maybe Jared Goff. The third best quarterback in the AFC, it's a debate between, I've got Trevor Lawrence behind Mahomes and Burrow, but lots of people say Josh Allen. Some say Aaron Rodgers. You compare those to Jared Goff. And again, I really like Jared Goff. I do. I have did nothing but praise him in the opening segment of the show. NFC needs some quarterbacks. I mean, they 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 went from having Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre for a time with Green Bay and Minnesota. The cupboard is kind of bare after Hurts, Dak, Carr, and Goff. I, I like Cousins. He's a top five quarterback in the conference. There's no he's he may not be top ten. He may be top ten, but he he barely cracks the top ten in terms of AFC quarterbacks. If he were to go there, so Caleb Williams he needs to go to the, N- the NFC. I don't know if the NFL needs to. Needs to interfere with something to, to, to put him in there. But the NFC desperately needs Caleb Williams. Bad. Okay, so let's, let's put that aside and let's... I did this on Wednesday's show, and I'm going to do it. I did it for myself and the audience on Wednesday. I think I'm just going to do this for myself. You, the audience, are more than welcome to join me as well. And this can be like a an experience for, for us to, to go through together. So we've had a game played last night. And just let's 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 inhale. And exhale. NFL Sunday football is back. And I could not be more excited to give my week one NFL Sunday predictions. So if we can get 
the background music going right now. Let's let's just freaking jump right into this, folks. Let's jump right into it right now. We will start with the first game of the slate, the first game I'll predict at least, a divisional matchup in the NFC South between the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. In this game, uh, Atlanta is a, let me pull this up here, the Atlanta Falcons in this football game are a, this is slow to load, they are a three and a half point favorite. Sorry, it took a minute to pull up. There are three and a half point favorite in this game against the Carolina Panthers. Again, NFC South, there's a lot of familiarity there. We know Carolina brought in the new coach, Frank Reich. They draft Bryce Young with the first overall pick in the draft. I like, I don't love Bryce. The size thing concerns me, but I like Bryce as a prospect. He's got talent. Here's the thing, and Atlanta to me is, is more limited at the quarterback position. I'm not a believer in Desmond Ritter the way some people are. I know this is year two. We've seen, I've talked about with Kenny Pickett. Year two is when quarterbacks tend to really kind of blossom. If they have a subpar rookie season, or even in some cases, the case of Jared Goff, by the way, a bad rookie season, come back year two, sometimes it's a new coaching staff. In the case of, of Desmond Ritter, he's got a great O-line, he's got Kyle Pitts, he's got Drake London, and he's got B. John Robinson now. By the way, he's also got Cordero Patterson. So that Atlanta Falcons offense is freaking stacked with playmakers. Defensively, they improved. I think Carolina's going to go 8-9. and nine. I think they're going to challenge for that NFC South title. Again, I think it's the worst division of football. And I think they do. I do think they'll be better than Atlanta. Here's the thing that concerns me for Carolina: no DJ, DJ Chark and no Adam Thielen. That's your top two receivers gone for a quarterback making his first start. He's going to need those. Obviously, you want to give him a nice run game, but you're going to need those guys to lean on in terms of guys who can consistently separate, get open. Bryce Young's going to need that. He's not going to have it. That said, I'm going to get. I'm going to give the Atlanta Falcons the win, 21 to 16. I do think they cover the three and a half point spread. I think they win this one at home to start one and zero. They beat Carolina again. Frank Reich. He's trying to establish a new culture. And I think Frank Reich is an excellent head coach, but it's going to take some time. Bryce Young is going to. It's going to take some development. Uh, the offensive line still needs some work, and with you missing your top two receivers, that's going to be an issue. Atlanta wins 21 to 16 over Carolina. This is a tricky one, and I almost put this one as Bryson's bleak bet. It's another divisional matchup. This one's in the AFC North. The Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, recently highest paid man in the history of the NFL. Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns. Bengals are a two-point road favorite despite the fact they have not won in Cleveland, Ohio since 2017. Infamously, by the way, the year that the Browns went 0-16. I have to point that out for Cleveland. I do not like Cleveland sports in the slightest. So, what do I do with this one? And here's why, why is it so hard to predict. Because Joe Burrow's amazing. They've got Jamar Chase. They've got T. Higgins. They've got Joe Mixon. They've got Tyler Boyd. They've got an improved offensive line. They've got a, a solid defense, albeit they lost their two safeties. But their pass rush is good. Front seven's pretty good overall. You're like, aren't they more talented than Cleveland? Well, not as much as they may get credit for. Nick Chubb may be the best running back in football. That offensive line Cleveland is one of the three best on planet Earth. They've got Amari Cooper, who had a good season last year. They've got... David Njoku, who had a solid year a season ago. They drafted my man. I, got, I always got to give volunteers some love. They drafted my man Cedric Tillman, who's going to be a red zone nightmare and could potentially rise up to be the Browns' number two receiver. And then defensively, they got a monster. <laughs> and I do mean a monster. He's, he's not TJ Watt in my eyes, but Miles Garrett is, is different. He's built like that. He was the number one overall pick, after all, in 2017 out of Texas A&M. He's that great. He's a 20-sack per guy. He's, he's capable of doing that. And he had a monster 2022 season. They've got Denzel Ward. They've got a solid secondary. Linebacking core is, is going to be improved as well. 
So the talent gap isn't huge. And also, too, and I think I don't I think this plays more factor in this game than the game I just mentioned in the NFC South, Panthers Falcons, is the divisional familiarity. Kevin Stefanski's been in Cleveland since 2020. Zach Taylor's been there since 2019. So there's no mystery about what these two coaches are gonna do. It's just about who plays better, who makes the key plays when they matter, and particularly which defense plays better, who runs the football more effectively. Again, Cincinnati a two-point favorite. I think that this goes to a sort of thing that can't be quantified in stats, in, in, in overall outlook on the game. Cincinnati's been having to hear since the schedule came out. Haven't won Cleveland. Haven't won Cleveland. By the way, last year on Halloween, they got clobbered by the Browns with no Deshaun Watson, with Jacoby Brissett starting at quarterback. Joe Burrow had a bad evening uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. The defense played horrible, couldn't stop the run. Jacoby Brissett had a big night. They'll go into Cleveland now with, with the whole mindset of, man, we got our you-know-what kicked on Monday Night Football in front of the whole country. They, By the way, they beat Cleveland. Joe Burrow got his first ever win against Cleveland late last season. I know a lot of people like the Browns. I understand why they like the Browns. I like Kevin Stefanski. I like the roster. Not as high on Deshaun as some are, but if Deshaun gets back to 75% of the old Deshaun, yeah, Cleveland can absolutely make the playoffs. I think this is a tight one. Cincinnati tends to struggle out the gates. I will give the Bengals the win on a game-winning drive by Joe Burrow. And then the, the, the Bengals defense get a stop. It gets a stop on Deshaun Watson, the Browns offense at the end. Bengals win this one. They do not cover, however. Take the Browns plus two. A lot of people are taking the Browns to win outright. Some are taking it as sort of like the upset of the week. By the way, upset of the week is coming later on in this segment. Uh, but I've got Cincinnati winning this one 23-22 over Cleveland and uh, starting 1-0. And again, Joe Burrow, we understand there's there's going to be some 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 rusty some rustiness uh, problems given the fact that this is another training camp that he wasn't available due to injury last year's the appendectomy. Bengals started 0-2. I understand why people are picking Cleveland. This will this is the one prediction that I would be least shocked if I'm wrong on. But I'll go with Cincinnati in in large part. Again, I think the rosters are kind of identical. Cleveland will have the home field advantage. It's the Battle of Ohio. But the Bengals have had it here since last Halloween and certainly all offseason since the schedule came out. Haven't won in Cleveland in six years. Haven't won in Cleveland. They'll go on the road in a hard-fought, hard-hitting game and get the W against the Cleveland Browns. Moving on to a game that uh, could be one of our blowouts of the weekend. It's the Houston Texans and the Baltimore Ravens. I kind of just spoiled my pick right there, but whatever. Browns, I'm sorry, Ravens are a 9.5-point favorite, 10-point favorite uh, in, in, in some, some, other, uh, some other sports books. So, look, I, I said before the season, I think, I think Houston's not, they're not going to be a playoff team, but they're expected to be competitive in a lot of games. I, I had a similar outlook staying in that division the AFC South on the Jacksonville Jaguars. That, hey, Jacksonville might be a team that I said they doubled their wins from the previous year. They actually tripled their wins, as it turned out. But they'd be in every single game or almost every single game they played in. I don't know if I'll go that far with Houston, but I'll say 13 of the 17 games they play, they'll be in. Remember, they almost beat Dallas last year. Almost beat Kansas City last year. They bring in D'Amico Ryan's good young head coach. I like C.J. Stroud as a prospect. Don't love him, but I like him. His size and his and his uh, you know uh, his his arm strength is something I think that the, the the Texans can build around. It's a good receiving core and a good defense. By the way, good running game they have over there. I thought about taking Texans plus nine and a half because the fact that it doesn't look like Marlon Humphrey is going to play for Baltimore. By the way, Mark Andrews is questionable. Lamar Jackson's security blanket coming in this game. 
if this game was played last year, if the Texans roster was what it was this year, last year, and you took Baltimore rosters last year, and you played this game, I would take the Texans plus 9.5. They won't need Mark Andrews as much as they might think. This won't be a repeat of what we saw in Kansas City last night. They add Odell Beckham Jr. They add Zay Flowers, who I hate to say this as a Steelers fan, but I think is going to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year. I loved him out of Boston College. He's got all the talent in the world to be a top 10 receiver in the National Football League. He's that good. You bring in Todd Munkin, who's going to play more to Lamar's strengths as a pocket passer, which, look at the numbers, he's one of the best in the NFL in that regard, doesn't get the credit because we think of him as like a run-first guy, and he will show his mobility, but his ability to throw the ball out of the pocket, J.K. Dobbins, great offensive line, good defense, albeit they're without Marlon Humphrey, take the Baltimore Ravens to win this game and cover, they win 30-15 to over the Houston Texans, again, Houston is trying to establish a culture, they've got young talent there, but it's week one. Roll with the more more proven franchise, the more proven quarterback, the more proven head coach. Ravens win this one 30-15. Uh, look at this. We got a comment here uh, from a Sanchez Sanchez uh, MTZ Gaming. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Who says, go Lions. Listen, I believe in those Detroit Lions. I got, listen, I, I may be a Steelers fan, but I'm wearing my Detroit Lions colors. I said, you're going to the NFC Championship game. They validated in certain... They didn't go to the NFC Championship game, but they validated how good I think they can be last night in Kansas City. So absolutely, uh, for your sake, sir, go Lions. Okay, moving on to the next game, and it is Bryson's Bleak Bet. It's the one game every week that I have absolutely zero confidence in where I'm going with my prediction. But you gotta make, you got to make the prediction. You, you, you miss, Michael Jordan once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You got to take the shot. And this one, it's the Tennessee Titans and the New Orleans Saints. This is a tough one, folks. New Orleans is, New Orleans is a three-point favorite. We know that the home team often gets the three points. And so this is almost, in a sense, a pick game. Basically, Vegas is saying these two teams, if they play at a neutral site, they are evenly matched. This is a level playing field. So New Orleans had a big offseason going out and getting Derek Carr, upgrading pretty substantially at the quarterback position. He's certainly the best they've had since Drew Brees retired a few years ago. Again, I like the roster. Alvin Kamara is suspended, but they added Jamal Williams in free agency from the Detroit Lions, who led the league in rushing touchdowns last season. Really good on the goal line. They've got an offensive line that concerns me a little bit, but I think is good enough to get the job done against a Tennessee pass rush that is, isn't all that. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons could be a problem this game, though. You've got Marquez Callaway. You've got can't guard Mike Thomas. And you got my man. A guy I actually picked a year ago to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. He didn't win that award, but he looked darn good. And that's Chris Olave. He's going to be a factor in this football game. And then defensively for New Orleans, you got Cam Jordan, you got Marshawn Lattimore, you got Demario Davis. So you got some, some good veteran players who've been there and done that for Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill comes back healthy. Knock on wood. I don't know how hard how, how long that's going to be the case because Tennessee just might have the worst offensive line in football, but you have Derek Henry to rely on. You have a okay middle of the pack defense. It's Bryson's bleak bet, so I may not have a ton of confidence in this, but. As far as how I look at this football game, to me, the deciding factor, or the deciding factor is plural. DeAndre Hopkins, there's no way on earth I'd pick the Titans to win this game if if D-Hop wasn't there. He's basically the guy to take the attention away from uh, Traylon Burks and the other Titans receivers. DeAndre Hopkins has a couple of touchdown catches. And listen, at the end of the day, some of these games, some of these tightly contested, these home team is favored by three points type games comes down to who your head coaches. In this instance, it's Mike Vrabel versus Dennis Allen, a top 10 coach in the NFL versus a bottom three coach in the NFL, given Dennis Allen's atrocious record. He's a great DC. He's a terrible head coach. 
I will roll with the Tennessee Titans to win this football game 27-24 to in New Orleans in the Superdome, one of the loudest environments in football. I'm going to roll with Mike Vrabel. I'm going to roll with the Titans 27-24 against the New Orleans Saints in this week's edition of Bryson's Bleak Bet. Moving on to another game. I thought about making this the If I Were a Betman game. That to come later down the road in the segment. I decided against it. So... This, this is an interesting one. So you got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You've got the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota is a five-point favorite at home. I'm shocked that they weren't eight-point favorites. I'm uh, dead serious. Listen, Tampa Bay's offensive line was bad last year. It's going to be just as bad, if not worse now. Ryan Jensen missing a second straight season. Essentially, he played the playoff game last year against Dallas. But he, he missed all but one game last year with the injury. He's getting, he's missing the same time with, I think, I think, the exact same injury. Tampa's offensive line is bad. Mike Evans is unhappy. And Baker Mayfield's their quarterback. And listen, Baker, I think, would be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. He's proven, listen, he's proven that if you put the right pieces around him, he's proven he could be successful in the playoffs and help you win a playoff game against my beloved Steelers in the wildcard game a couple years, or three years back now. Arm is below average. Mobility, eh. He's pretty good throwing in the pocket with a clean pocket. The problem is... Minnesota, the difference in this football game. The difference to me in the Vikings missing the playoffs and, and, and not living up to last year's, you know, kind of unpredictable success in one-score games, although I kind of did predict it before the season. That's neither here nor there. Brian Flores. And the difference between that, uh, them, them, them not missing the, them missing the playoffs and them making the playoffs, which I think they will as a wildcard team at 10-7, and seven, Brian Flores is now their defensive coordinator. This is a Vikings defense last year. That was terrible. In all caps, terrible against the pass. I think they were 31st of the league, if I'm not mistaken. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones looked like Super Bowl Eli Manning against this Vikings defense. They're able to make some additions in the offseason, address their defense in the draft, and then they have Brian Flores calling the shots on that side of the ball. We understand Minnesota is, is one of the more talented offenses in football. Kirk Cousins is a top 12 quarterback in my estimation. You've got you've got Justin Jefferson uh, as the best receiver in football. TJ Hawkins is a top 5 tight end. Offensive line's good. I know Dalvin Cook's gone, but I think Alexander Madison is going to be a sneaky, nice, kind of flex player at times in fantasy football. This is a game I consider starting uh, Mr. Madison. Uh, you've got Jordan Addison. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, by the way. you got Jordan Addison. We understand there's some off-field troubles, but the kid out of USC has a ton of talent, can be very successful and very productive in this league. They lost Adam Thielen, but Addison's kind of the replacement for Thielen as the number two wide receiver. I'm going to roll with the Minnesota Vikings to cover the spread. Listen, they're just a better football team in Tampa Bay. That spreads is five and a half. It could be five. Either way, take Minnesota to cover quite easily. 31 to 10 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I've waited for this for a long time, this segment. It is now time for the best segments in all of sports predicting entertainment. It is time for... We're a betting man. We're a betting man. Oh, I've been waiting to say this. I'm looking at the old Pittsburgh Steelers who are hosting the San Francisco 49ers in a big 1 o'clock game. Probably the best early window game of this week one schedule. San Francisco is a two-point road favorite. Very interesting. Considering the fact that Mike Tomlin at home as an underdog is 13-8 and as a head coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You also consider the fact that the 49ers would dealt some kind of unfortunate news that George Kittle, the second best tight end in the National Football League, is questionable for this game. So he might not even be out there. This is a Steelers team that was already good defensively, got better 
by adding Patrick Peterson, who's talking some mad trash to Brock Purdy. I didn't love that, but he's a vet. He probably knows what he's doing. Uh, and because I, I like I like me some Sturdy Purdy. Okay, Sturdy Purdy's the man. And they draft Joey Porter Jr., stole Joey, Joey Porter Jr., of course his dad, very successful in Pittsburgh on the defensive side of the ball, stole him early in the second round. So Pittsburgh was able to have a good draft. By the way, they took an offensive lineman to really kind of bolster that unit. They were able to get uh, Washington, the kid out of uh, out of Georgia, the really good tight end, with Fryermuth, with with Deontay Johnson, with Najee Harris, with uh, 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 oh my gosh, Jalen Warren, uh, the young uh, uh, the the young running back in Pittsburgh who's, who's had a very 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 good preseason. So you look at all those pieces in Pittsburgh uh, that they have, and then he got that bad man. George Pickens. Oh, Lord have mercy. He about to have a big old year, y'all. Big old year. Big old year. Big, strong, great route runner, and unbelievable hands. His connection with Kenny Pickett, who's going to throw for 28 touchdown passes this year, have a, a big second year, get Pittsburgh to the playoffs with an 11-6 record against a 49ers team with a lot of distractions around the Trey Lance trade, potentially no George Kittle, Brock Purdy coming off of an elbow surgery. This screams a Steelers W. Don't just take Pittsburgh to don't just take Pittsburgh the points. Take the Steelers to win this whole darn thing outright. 26 to 20 against the San Francisco 49ers. Folks, listen, San Francisco has an amazing defense. Pittsburgh's is better. You got TJ Watson, they've got Alex Highsmith and Joey Porter Jr. and Patrick Peterson. I mean, their defense is absolutely positively stacked. Take the Pittsburgh Steelers. It is my honor. My first game as a Steelers fan. How about that? On If I Were a Bet Man. Take the Steelers. Plus two and a half. Moving on to our next game. It's another divisional matchup. AFC South matchup. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts. Really interesting game. I've seen a lot of people taking the Colts not to win, but to, you know, to, to, to cover the... To take them to... to, to you know, it's, it's a five-point spread, so take the Colts. And the points. By the way, Colts five-point dog at home... Look, I, I like where Indianapolis is going from a talent perspective. Obviously, the Jonathan Taylor thing is a huge source of availability. That's going to be a massive issue for the Colts all season long It's in terms of whether or not he plays at all. Certainly, we know he's not going to be available for this game or the next three. He's on the pup list. Listen, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is that dude. He's that dude. He's the third best quarterback in the NFL. He's going to win the most valuable player in 2023. I've heard it here first on, on Monday's show. And once again today, listen, Jacksonville has one of the more underrated offensive skill position groups. They have Christian Kirk and they have Evan Ingram and they have Travis Etienne. Very good playmakers, very young playmakers on that side of the ball. And by the way, a solid offensive line. Here's the thing. Um, they got Calvin Ridley in a trade last year. Now, he didn't play, of course, because of the fact that he was suspended with the gambling uh, issue he comes back this year, and have you seen? Have you seen the man in training camp? Yeah, he's going to be. Him and Trevor Lawrence could have a very, very dangerous combination between those two. Good defense that improves just in terms of age, experience. This is a Jags team that won their playoff game after being down 27 nothing. That competed with the eventual champion Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead, had it down to a one-score game in the fourth quarter. They were, they were. Mahomes made some big plays and, and put the the Jags away when it was all said and done. But this is a Jags team that's ready to compete. I think they're going to get to the AFC title game. Indianapolis again. I like Richardson with Shane Steichen specifically, but I worry about the fact that hey, is is this is is he kind of the the Trey Lance in the sense of that he's. 
he's this developmental prospect. He's a he's, he's a project to a certain extent. I will give the Jacksonville Jaguars a win pretty comfortably, 34-17. to 17. I just think the talent gap is, is pretty massive. Uh, and while Anthony Richardson has the potential to be a very successful quarterback, kind of be the next Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence is the established guy. Trevor Lawrence was the third-best quarterback in football the second half of the season. I think he's going to take that momentum into a year three that has the Jags in the NFC title game, and they'll start with a 34-17 win in Indianapolis against their division rival. I'm going to try and spend as little time as possible in this game. It's the worst team potentially in NFL history. The Arizona Cardinals on the road against the definition of mediocrity, the Washington Commanders. Washington is a seven-point favorite here at home in this one. If it were me, I would have put it as like a 15-point favorite. Of course, Vegas isn't going to go there, really, you know, nor should they. I'm going to be nice to the Cardinals in this respect. They've got a former Vol starting at quarterback, Joshua Dobbs. You saw him, of course, start for Tennessee. Their last two games of the season against the Cowboys and against the Jaguars. Had some moments here there. I think Dobbs has cemented himself as a solid backup in the NFL. He's mobile, solid arm, accuracy comes and goes, uh, but he's, he, he's serviceable. He can come in if your quarterback gets hurt and, and, and make, make things happen. I, I hope Dobbs gets traded at some point this season. That would be great. But he's starting for the Arizona Cardinals, who have maybe the worst organization in the league. Potentially, potentially the worst coach in the league. If those speeches to the team are any indication of that. The Cardinals could be in worse trouble than we think. And to top it off, the worst roster and the worst uniforms in the league. Washington, again, I, I don't... Listen, I think Washington should tank. I think they should should tank. Move on for Ron Rivera. Maybe make Eric the enemy the head coach. See what you got in Sam Howell, but you probably draft a quarterback high up in the draft next year. But Washington's still a talented team. They've still got a great front four. Certainly, could be, you could argue, maybe the best in the NFC East, and that's an NFC East that has the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles in it. Washington, on their best day, is just as good. They have Terry McLaurin. They have... Robinson running the football. And Sam Howell, I think, is fine. I think Sam Howell has the potential to be a, a nice starting quarterback in the NFL, not to the level of really even a Kirk Cousins, a Jared Goff, or a Tua, but maybe to the level of, say, a if he's on, a Deshaun Watson, for example. So kind of in that class, or a, a Ryan Tannehill. I think Sam Howell can do that. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty accurate, mobile enough, uh, although he's more of a pocket guy. I will give the Washington Commanders the... Maybe the decisive win of the weekend. Again, I don't think Washington's going anywhere near the playoffs or anything of that nature, but they win 38-17 to over the Arizona Cardinals here in Week 1. They start 1-0 uh, and get to hand the Cardinals their first of 16 losses in 2023. Moving on to the afternoon slate of games, at least here on the East Coast, the second slate of games. It is an AFC West divisional matchup between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Denver Broncos. I almost made this one Bryson's bleak bet as well. I seriously considered it. Uh, th those division matches are really funny because so the, so the Broncos in this game are three and a half point favorites and I don't like this line at all for Denver I don't they're going to be without Tim Patrick for the entire season Jerry Judy I'm not quite sure what his status is for this game I, I'm not quite sure uh, he's going to to play he's been listed right here in the injury report as questionable we'll see if he goes or not and if those two guys are out Cortland Sutton by the way is dealing with some some knickknack injuries you know here and there that could be a problem for the Denver Broncos. For a Russell Wilson, who's, of course, here in year 12, trying to have a the bounce-back season of bounce-back seasons, given how bad he was last year with the Broncos, albeit under Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> Again, divisional matchups are funny. I see a scenario in which maybe Sean Payton in the first half, just to see what he's got, kind of turns him loose, turns Russell loose, and then by about late second quarter, early third quarter, like, 
Oh dang, he's not as as fixable as I may have may have imagined. At least one week into the season. Now, good news for Denver is their defense is, has the potential to be one of the best in the NFL. One of the best. I'd maybe fringe top 10. They were excellent last year until the end of the season when they had some, I think they gave up 50 to the Rams and Baker Mayfield. So they had some, had some stinkers there late year, but they kept the Broncos in a lot of games for the first 12 games or so. Here's the thing about the, the, the Raiders. Almost called them Oakland. Here's the thing about the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't believe in Josh McDaniels as a head coach. Don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo as a as a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. Most quarterbacks would be successful in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan and those weapons. But Josh McDaniels knows about as well as anybody outside of Kyle Shanahan. He knows what Jimmy Garoppolo is. He knows his limitations. He does have a big arm. He's accurate with a clean pocket. Raiders have an okay offensive line. They're going to need to play well against this Broncos front. You got Hunter Renfro. You've got Josh Jacobs running the football. And he got arguably the best receiver in football. I got him second or third, Devontae Adams. Now, the difference to me in this game, the Raiders' defense is terrible. Denver will be good enough offensively to pull out this win by a final score of 24-21. to 21. I would advise, though, take the Raiders plus 3.5. I, I don't think Denver, I would not be shocked at all if the Raiders go on the road and win this game. Josh McDaniels knows, uh, I think Josh McDaniels knows uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's limitations better than Sean Payton knows Russell Wilson's limitations. That's my only concern for the Denver Broncos uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, Qatar Air says, I would take the points there. Are you referring to the, let's see, what the Denver game or the the uh, the Arizona-Washington game? Let's see, that, that, that comment came in a couple minutes ago, so you're, you're saying Denver. Okay, so we agree. So yeah, I, take, take Denver to win, but Las Vegas uh, in the points. I absolutely agree there. It is now time for my upset of the week. Can't believe I'm saying this. Give me the Miami Dolphins to beat the Los Angeles Chargers, who are a favorite, a favored by a field goal on the road by a final score of 28 to 20. And here is why. It is quite simple, folks. So remember when Tua, who I was, you know, of course, <laughs> over the last couple years, I have been significantly higher. I think the results speak for themselves on Justin Herbert more than I have Tua Tungavailoa. Here's the thing, though. The Tua went on the road last year. Remember, the, the Chargers were missing all those starters, and Tua lay a stinker. And I came in. I might have been a little too hard on Tua the next day, but I came in saying, see, see, I told you Justin Herbert was better. And I still very much maintain that today. I think Justin Herbert is a significantly better uh, quarterback from a talent perspective and certainly from an accomplishment perspective uh, and production perspective than Tua Tungavailoa is. Here's the thing, though. This is Tua's second year in the Mike McDaniel system. Mike McDaniel, we know his time back in San Francisco in the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. This is, this is the same Mike McDaniel who, in a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills in the freezing cold Miami, self-explanatory, a warm-weather team, with his third-string quarterback, dropped 30-plus on a good Bills defense. Because you have Tyree Kill, and you have Jalen Waddell, and you have that offensive line. Defensively, they'll be better because Vic Fangio is your DC. That, to me, is the difference. Vic Fangio was the head coach of the Denver Broncos two years ago when Kellen Moore, you're going to hear his name a lot from me this season, was the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. And I've beat this table for a long time that uh, he didn't play into Dak's strengths nearly as well as he should have. The man, folks, Chargers fans, get used to this. All 13 of you out there, uh, get used to a lot of curl routes because that's what you're going to see from Mike Williams and from Keenan Allen and, and everybody else. Last time Vic Fangio and Kellen Moore squared off, Dak Prescott had one of the worst games of his career. Dallas was scoreless. 
through three quarters. Dak had under 100 passing yards after uh, the first six games of the season when Rain Dakota Prescott was the, in the MVP discussion. And Vic Fangio came to Dallas and said, nope. He's one of the better defensive minds in the NFL, even without Jalen Ramsey, who I've said all offseason, I don't think it was near as, a, as big of an acquisition as the Dolphins have made him out to be. But you got Bradley Chubb, you got Xavier Howard, you got a good defense. Give me the Miami Dolphins to upset the Chargers on the road. Vic Fangio outflanks Kellen Moore, outsmarts Kellen Moore rather once again. And Miami starts... 1-0. And by the way, I have both of these teams going 9-8 and this season. I think, or no, I think, no, I'm sorry. I apologize. I had the Dolphins getting the playoffs. So this game really could decide that last playoffs, but at least as, as I see it playing out in the AFC. Upset of the week, Dolphins win 28-20 over the Los Angeles Chargers. Here's an interesting game. This, this, is, a, this is a weird one. It's actually a Super Bowl rematch that these teams have faced twice in the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. Now, the biggest story of this game, at least what I'm hearing recording according to reports, is that the greatest athlete in the history of American team sports, the man, the myth, the legend, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. The resume speaks for itself, of course. Number 12 is going to go in the rafters in New England. So that is going to be, it is, it is New England after all. It is Foxborough. It is, you know, Within range of Boston, Massachusetts, I'm a big big Red Sox fan, so I would, I would know that fan base quite well. Uh, that is going to be a um, a lubricated, let's say that uh, audience in in in, in um, almost call it Foxborough Stadium, in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough against a team that fell short, just fell short by three points in the Super Bowl. They'll be excited to see Tom get his number retired. The Patriots and, and Belichick and everybody will obviously want to get a win for the goat. And Philadelphia comes this game. By the way, Philadelphia is a four-point favorite on the road. So New England upgraded their wide receiving core. They added uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. They added Mike Gusecki. Ezekiel Elliott looks like he might be the starter this week because Ramondre Stevenson is questionable due to an injury. So that's a factor as well. So what I'm looking at for this entire matchup is the fact that Philly's losing both of their coordinators I think is a big story. Now you guys know. You guys know. I do not believe in Mac Jones. Haven't since he came into the National Football League before the man played a snap. I think he's a backup quarterback. And I think the end of his rookie season and all last season would just would show you just that. But you got an Eagles defense that struggled at times toward the end of the season, particularly against elite quarterbacks. Of course, Mac Jones is not in the conversation with Dak, and he, God knows he's not in the conversation with Mahomes. But Bill Belichick is one of the better defensive coaches in football. Bill Belichick is a guy who's who's been able to generate some very successful pass rushes. Matthew Judon, a, a year ago, I believe, was top five in sacks. The Patriots can take the ball away. Now, Jalen Hurts doesn't make a lot of mistakes, so I don't think they're going to get more than one takeaway. But they get to the quarterback, even against a great Eagles defensive line. I'm going to wince and pick the Eagles to cover the spread and therefore win 23-17. to But this, to me, feels like a game that... Is kind of ugly. A little bit of a defensive battle in the first half, or really through the first three quarters. And then Jalen Hurts, kind of similar to the way Jared Goff did last night in Kansas City, leads the drive for Philadelphia to, to win the game when it's all said and done and beat the Patriots. Again, I, I think the Patriots could be 6-11. But this is kind of one of those games where, again, Brady's getting his, his number retired, number 12, of course. And, uh, and Belichick, he's had, what, five months? Not five months, about four months to game plan for Philadelphia. Listen, I don't think Belichick is, is in the discussion for greatest coach ever. I do think he's probably the def- greatest defensive mind ever. Uh, going back to his days off as, as the D.C. of the New York Giants and then his, his of course, his 20-plus years as the head coach of the New England Patriots. Philadelphia wins 23-17. to They do cover the four-point spread. I say that with 
with gritted teeth. I'm not terribly confident in that pick, but I'll roll with it. Here's what I am confident in. We got another divisional matchup. It's the NFC North this time. It's America's Game of the Week on Fox. It is the Green Bay Packers, and it is the Chicago Bears. The Bears are only a point and a half home favorite. So Vegas is telling you, if this game was played on a neutral site in, I don't know, in uh, in Australia, for example, the Packers, they believe, are the better football team. I, a point and a half, two points, something like that. So, again, we talk about electric fan bases, electric crowds, electric atmospheres in the NFL. Chicago is going to be that on Sunday afternoon. This is... After a brutal year last year, 3-14, and 14, Justin Fields, God bless him, was running for his life at times. Was Ended last season incredibly, uh, it was, was really beat up toward the end. Wide receiving core wasn't what folks hoped it would be, and certainly the defense was nowhere near what folks hoped it would be. But you come into this season if you're the Chicago Bears. Justin Fields, this is year three, this is a prove-it year, we understand how that works. It's a, it's a Bears offensive line that has improved with the addition them drafting Darnell Wright. My man out of Tennessee is going to have a big career as one of the better left tackles, certainly that division, if not in the NFL and the NFC uh, in particular. But you added DJ Moore in the trade. You gave up the number one overall pick. DJ Moore is now your number one wide receiver with Chase Claypool, with Darnell Mooney. Cole Komet's a top 10 tight end in the NFL. You've got a good running game. Now, defensively is my only concern. Here's the good news. If you're playing the if you're playing the Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love has no substantial ex- experience, actually no experience at all at all, as the guy for his team in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers. This is his first start as what the Packers hope will be the succession to Aaron Rodgers. In the same sense, Aaron Rodgers succeeded Brett Favre. Packers fans were all over me last week for my take about this. How the the the, the Packers not really believing in Jordan Love. I think you're going to see that tomorrow. I'm sorry, on Sunday they're going to be very conservative. Uh, Christian Watson, their number one receiver, is out in this game. Romeo Dobbs, their number two receiver, is questionable. So you've got a limited quarterback, best receiver's out, second best receiver. If he isn't out, he'll be hampered. This is going to be an Aaron Jones game, an A.J. Dillon game, and the Packers offensive line is going to have to play their you-know-what's-off just to give them a chance to win this game. I think they get in the red zone maybe from time to time get a turnover. Jair Alexander gets a turnover off Justin Fields. It's a defensive battle that maybe a lot of folks don't expect, but give me the Chicago Bears to win this game, and of course cover the point and a half uh the point and a half spread 20 to 16 over the Green Bay Packers. I you guys know I do not believe in Green Bay this year. I said I you know I kind of had an epiphany that when a quarterback and a team separate when the case of Aaron Rodgers the Jets in the Packers it almost feels like a, a divorce because they were together for so long. There's a clear winner and there's a clear loser. We saw it with Tom in Tampa, Stafford in Detroit, although Detroit's pretty good now, but Stafford got his ring. That's all that matters in the NFL. And then Russell and Seattle went the other way. The team was more successful without the franchise quarterback. So I don't think you're going to see that in Green Bay. You're going to see more of a repeat of what happened in Tampa. And with the Rams, not saying Aaron Rodgers is going to win the Super Bowl. I'm saying that the team that he, that the, you know, that, that the Aaron Rodgers left, yeah, they're in for a rough year. Give me the Bears 20 to 16 in a divisional game over the Green Bay Packers. Couple games left. Last game in the, uh, in the midday window. Again, if you're here on the East Coast, it is a game that's actually going to be early afternoon on the West Coast in Seattle, Washington, in the Pacific Northwest. You've got the Los Angeles Rams. You've got the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle in this game is a five-point favorite. A lot of five-point favorites, home and and away, uh, thus far this NFL season. So Seattle's a five-point favorite against their division rival Los Angeles Rams. So you guys know... 
Seattle's one of those teams with Chicago, with Minnesota, that in, with the Giants. I was kind of back and forth on. Didn't know if I would put them in the, in the playoffs or not. I decided to for the simple fact that they had a, the success that they had last year with a very young roster. You have Reek Wollen coming off of a big-time year. Two offensive tackles, uh, Cross in particular, I thought had a big season last year that, that were successful. Geno Smith winning comeback player of the year. But now you got Jackson Smith and Jigbub who in a receiving core with DK Metcalf and one of the more underrated players of the league, Tyler Lockett, he's going to be an issue. Noah Fant, who they got in the Russell Wilson trade from Denver, is a very good tight end, certainly within that system. I know they're dealing with some injuries to the running back position. That's the only thing that I think could keep this thing kind of close. Here's the thing about the Rams. There's no Cooper Cup. Sean McVay said he's not ruling out putting Cooper Cup on IR. My twin, I hate it for you. Get well soon, my man. Here's the guy. You got Matthew Stafford, and then you got Van Jefferson and Tutu Atwell. I mean, it's not a Cam Akers. It's not exactly a. It ain't exactly the the offensive, you know, firepower that they had 18 months ago in the Super Bowl. Or more than that, actually, 19 plus months ago in that Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then defensively, it's Aaron Donald and a bunch of guys. They've got some okay players in the back end of the secondary. They're they're fine, but I, I don't think they're gonna blow you know blow my socks off. I'm gonna take the Seattle Seahawks to win this game and cover the spread quite easy. I think they they, they run rough shot over a, a Rams defense, particularly a Rams uh, back end that. Or not back in a Rams front seven that is it's just completely lacking depth. Look, Ethan Picks got them a Super Bowl again. At the end of the day, that's why you play the game. You play the game to win championships. What did uh, Herm Edwards say? You play to win the game. Well, the Rams did play to win the game. They won the game. Uh, you know, winning the Super Bowl. They hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. Nobody else that season obviously did. But the downside of it is you're going to stink for the next one to two years. Uh, I have them going seven and ten because I do believe Sean McVay is able to. He's a good enough coach to keep them in a lot of games. But Seattle, I think, is going to make the playoffs with a ten and seven record. They win this one 35 to twenty. And finally, big Sunday night matchup. Uh, you got the uh, again another. We got a lot of divisional matchups here in week one. I like it. Some of these divisions are really strong. You've got the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. Dallas on the road. Interesting. A three and a half point favorite. Now this is a line that I thought about. I'm like, oh man, I might want to consider taking the Giants to a certain extent. But then I remembered. Then I remembered. Dak Prescott's playing the Giants. Rain Dakota Prescott. You know what he does against the New York Giants, folks. Dak has not lost to the. Uh, to the boys in blue, so to speak. He has not lost since President Barack Obama was in office. That's three presidential references for your carving it up Friday. I love presidential history. That's that being said, it's again president. We've had two presidents uh, since obviously since Obama was in office, and that's the last time that Dak lost to the New York Giants. Case in point, he doesn't lose to the New York Giants. Okay, this is a Cowboys receiving core that was. I I complained all season long last year as, a, as the Dak defender, I think, in all sports media. Man, this receiving core aside from CeeDee Lamb is really below average. They cannot separate the stats, by the way, very obviously bear that out. They still beat the Giants. In the one game he played against them last year on Thanksgiving, with the Giants having a good deal of momentum, he's out there with 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 Jake Ferguson and, 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 and Peyton Hendershot out here making them look like stars in the NFL. That's what Dak Prescott was doing with and a below-average offensive line. Listen, the Giants got better in terms of adding Darren Waller. I, I, I talked all offseason. The Cowboys needed to draft Jalen Hyatt. They decided to pass on him, take the linebacker, I think, out of Texas. The Giants took him. Here's my one guarantee for the game. And there will be a little, little musical number, a very brief one, albeit, on Monday's show, if this happens, and I think it will. If the Dallas Cowboys put Trayvon Diggs 101 with Jalen Hyatt, 
Jalen Hyatt's going to burn him for a touchdown. Now, Trayvon Diggs, I don't want to bash him because, as I talked about, was on the Cowboys camp fan show. Like I said on Wednesday, go check their show out. They're incredible. But it was on their show talking about how Trayvon has improved as last year. I talked a lot last year about how he's improved as a pure cover corner, more so than he did in 2021. He kind of let the interceptions come to him, kind of like his new teammate Stephon Gilmore does. But every now and then, he'll have that one play like, oh, what are you doing? Like, you, 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 it'll happen from time to time. Jalen Hyatt, folks, in the last preseason game against the Jets, very early on, facing, in my view, the best corner in the NFL, Sauce Garner. And Sauce Garner had to tug on his jersey in order to not give up a, a bomb touchdown to the fastest player in the NFL, not named Tyreek Hill. That's the type of production that Jalen Hyatt's going to give the Giants this season. That is something for the Cowboys to game plan around. I actually think Saquon Barkley has a quiet evening for the simple fact that I think Brian Dable, for the offensive mind that he is, is going to look at the fact that, hey, Daniel Jones worth, or not easy, worth $40 million, he's making $40 million. And we got the new weapons. Offensive line's good. Dak is usually great against us, you know, every single year. We're probably going to have to air it out a little bit. And I think that Daniel Jones is going to throw a couple of interceptions, one of them being a tipped pick to Micah Parsons. Dak drops four touchdowns. I'll say three through the air, one on the ground. And, and we can, we can at least for a week, shut up the whole talk about, hey, is, is, is the interceptions a real problem for Dak Prescott? Certainly they will not be in this game. Give me the Dallas Cowboys by a final score of 30-19 to to cover the three-and-a-half-point spread in this matchup here on Sunday Night Football uh, to cap what is going to be a blast weekend, week one of Sunday games in the National Football League. Cannot wait. Whew, that was fun. This is a fun show today. Reacting to a football game last night for a team that I have full confidence that will get to the final four of the NFL. Burrow getting paid, how that affects Dak. Caleb Williams, a fun segment of the Vol of You, and then NFL predictions. So I won't go I won't go back over all of my NFL predictions. I'll just go through the three most important games in my eyes, at least for, for my segment. So uh, for uh, Bryson's Bleak Bet, I've got the Tennessee Titans over the New Orleans Saints, 27-24. to And if I were a betting man, my new team, first, I'm like a baby fan now, I've got the Steelers not only... Not only taking them uh, in the two and a half point spread uh, in the in the points, I'm going to take them to win outright 26 to 20 over the San Francisco 49ers. And finally, in my upset of the week, I've got the Miami Dolphins over the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Kellen Moore about to get worked by Vic Fangio, despite having the superior quarterback. How do I know this? Well, because I saw it happen often when Kellen Moore was was calling plays from my, my man Dak Prescott. It was very upsetting. Before we get out of here, real quick, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that. I talked about on Wednesday's show that we're trying we were trying to surpass or you know get towards 200 subscribers and I was like man if we could break it during the show it'd be great we weren't able to break it during the show but almost minutes probably I'd say 15 minutes ish after the show ended we hit 200 we're a little over let me check real quick right now see where we're at in terms of subscribers, because we're starting to starting to build it up here, which I, I love. Okay, we're at 207, 207 subscribers to Carving It Up Live. So thanks to everybody who subscribed. And I'm using this opportunity to say that for this new NFL season, setting the goal for Carving It Up Live to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58 which is February 12th, 2024. So we got about five months uh, to the day on Tuesday to get to 1,000 subscribers. Obviously, going to need your help, the incredible listeners and supporters of the show that, that y'all have been. 
So if uh, if you haven't subscribed, obviously be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you have, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a family member to tell your cousin to tell his friend or her friend or whoever's friend to subscribe to Carving It Up Live uh, right here on YouTube. And of course, as I'll get into in my in my uh, outro, subscribe to the Grid Network as well. So we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the Super Bowl and Carving Up Live. I believe we can accomplish this goal, uh, but we're going to need your help to do it. So uh, let's put this let's put the work in and. Let's get to 1K by by Super Bowl 58. Definitely looking forward to, to doing that. So uh, with that said, what a show today. Almost two hours of pure football. You can tell it's early September. I freaking love it. So with that said, uh, that is all the time we have for today's show. I, I see that I see some of the comments in here. Uh, very supportive, trying to get us to 1,000. Thank you to everybody who commented, as always. But uh, that's all the time we have for today's show. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live and what will be an insane episode on Monday. As I say, the biggest overreaction, not on Carving It Up. We're, we're very objective. I am very objective on Carving It Up, sort of. But the biggest overreaction Monday of the year is the day after week one, or at least the day after the Sunday games of week one, and the Monday after the Super Bowl. Who knows the headlines we'll have after Sunday. By the way, after Saturday, too, Texas is going to beat Alabama. Texas is going on the road. They're going to beat Alabama. Uh, Quinn Ewers is going to outplay Milro. And Steve Sarkeesian will become the third ever assistant of Nick Saban to beat Nick Saban. And will be uh, will beat him in Tuscaloosa. And that's going to happen. Texas beats Alabama. They're overrated this year. 9-3. and three. They're not going to win the SEC West. LSU's win the SEC West. Bama's going to lose on Saturday night. I'm telling you right now. Okay. Uh, and also, of course, be sure to like, to share, to comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Of course, trying to get to 1,000 by the Super Bowl. It, of course, helps the channel grow exponentially. Uh, to get Carving Up Live, of course, I forgot to mention, uh, begins at 6 Eastern at 3 Pacific time uh, at night or in the afternoon, whatever time you're watching on YouTube as well as the or on Twitter as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Speaking of which, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as, as well as wherever you get your favorite podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, any and everywhere. And we certainly hope uh, at the Grid we have some incredible content creators that we are on your, uh, you know, on, on your on your list of favorite shows. Because, uh, listen, we got some very talented people at this network, so definitely be sure to give them some love as well. Okay. College football's already back. The NFL is is officially back with the game last night. But Sunday football is only is less than 48 hours away. Man. <laughs> Monday's going to be a blast. I can't wait. See y'all then. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in the show. Please be sure to stay safe out there and to be, sh- be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, as I've said for a while now on the show starting this year, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence. In America. We've got to address this problem, folks. We've got to do it. By any means necessary. All right. See you on Monday. A football packed show that day. Cannot wait. God bless you all. Peace out. Steelers going 1-0, baby. Let's go. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.